It's probably the most romantic river in the world. As longtime Paris resident Elaine Shalino puts it, the Seine encourages us to dream, to linger, to flirt, to fall in love. Or at least to fantasize that falling in love is possible. Elaine writes for the New York Times, and she's its former Paris bureau chief. She describes her decades-long love affair with the river that winds through the heart of Paris in her latest book. It's called The Seine, The River That Made Paris. Elaine, bonjour. Thank you for having me on again, Rick. It's really a pleasure, an honor, indeed. Thank you. Well, I love Paris, and I have great respect for the importance of getting a little deeper into France and Paris. And if we can uh, have a nice conversation with somebody who has spent a lifetime enjoying it and getting into it and living and working there, it's always just great. And looking through your book on the Seine, it occurred to me, if the book is like a story, the main character is a woman. In fact, there are many songs that have been written about the Seine that call her carnal and sexual and sensual because the origin of the Seine is in deep Burgundy, and it's a goddess, a Gallo-Roman goddess named Sequana, and it was she who eventually morphed into the Seine. Huh. Gallo-Roman. What do we mean by that? Gallo-Roman means when the Romans came to France and conquered France and established their rule over the Gauls. So the Gauls were the, the people Celts. there before, yes. the Celtic before. people. Yeah, exactly. So that, and you can go to the, the source of the Seine. I mean, it's a long river. What is it? 240 miles long. And um, you can go to the source way up uh, in Burgundy. And what do you find? Well, you find a very boring plain in the middle of nowhere. And in fact, it's a part of the country where the GPS doesn't work. So you wander around looking for the sources of the Seine. There's more than one source. There are seven little springs that bubble up from the ground and a lot more when when it's springtime and and there's lots of rain. And uh, it's not a river there. It's just literally a lot of mushy ground. And the authorities have channeled these springs into the beginnings of a stream, and it's that tiny little stream that then morphs into a mighty river. The Seine River is, I guess I said 200, it's like almost 500 miles long going through France. Yes. And, um, but you weren't wrong because you know what? If it were a straight line, it would be about 250 miles. Oh, there's where I, okay, so it's meandering through France. And uh, when we think about, especially go back to medieval or older times, the role it played in history Sum up how the Seine was really, in so many ways, the bloodstream of France as it was becoming a nation. Well, let's start with Paris. Paris would not have ever been created had it not been for the Seine. The city of Paris was created on the little island, the Ile de la Cité, in the middle Mm -hmm. of the Seine. And it was because you could protect the uh, inhabitants because you could build these very primitive bridges. You could build walls so that invaders couldn't come. You know, when the Vikings came, the Vikings would come and go, and uh, the city of Paris was able to repel them in part because the... Um, it's a natural fortification. Uh, there. It was a natural fortification, yeah. precisely. And, and that's how the Seine started out. And then, of course, later it became a river of transport. Goods moved along the Seine from far east of Paris all the way to the sea. Now, you first came to Paris back in 1978. What did the yes, river... Yes, when I was about two years old. That's right, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. as, a, as mm-hmm. a very small child. How did the river impact you in your earliest memories of Paris? I came to Paris by accident when I was a very junior correspondent for Newsweek magazine based in Chicago. 
I had had a husband back then, but one day he came home and said he was leaving, and I gave him half of everything, including the um, BMW. And then a few months later, he was married again, and I took off and went to Paris as a junior correspondent for Newsweek magazine. And I arrived with no friends, no lovers, no sources, very bad French. But every day, I would walk from our very fancy bureau in the 8th arrondissement on the Rue du Faubourg Saint-Honoré across one of the rivers to my apartment in the 7th arrondissement. And I would stand in the middle of the river Mm. every day, and I would look out west and watch the sun fall behind the Eiffel Tower, and I'd say to myself, it's going to be okay. Mm. And the Seine just gave me comfort, as rivers often do. That's a beautiful thing. And and, and Paris certainly has the romantic embankment and the beautiful bridges and the skyline on both sides to sort of uh, encourage that sort of comforting romantic approach. That's why it's the setting for so many romantic movies, Rick, right? That's it. (laughs) We're tracing the history and the role of the Seine right now with Elaine Cholino. And Elaine's book is The Seine, The River That Made Paris. Her website is elainecholino.com. That's spelled S-C-I-O-L-I-N-O. So we talked about the Seine being 400 and some miles long, but eight miles of it goes through Paris. Let's talk for just a minute about that most famous stretch of the river, really. We know it because of this really impressive embankment, but I'm fascinated by the days before the embankment when it was really just a a mucky river bank that the the city was built upon. What is the embankment? uh, How did that change things for Paris and the Seine? Until about the 19th century, Paris was very pastoral, and you could actually walk into the Seine. You could bring your animals into the Seine. And there are wonderful, wonderful paintings for those of your listeners who love French art in the Musée Carnavalet, the Museum of the City of Paris. But it's almost like a journalist's report to look at these paintings and see what daily life was like with people washing their clothes, with people fishing, with people having their boats, with bringing their cows and their horses into the river so that there was a real personal and intimate connection with the river. There was no boundary between the bank and the river. And that, of course, changed when the embankments were built and and Paris became what you would call a mineralized or concretized Mm. city. And that's a huge step in the development of the city. And for us romantics, it makes it possible to have little bookstalls lining the riverfront, so evocative and, and just so delightful. What do the bouquinistas mean to you? Well, you say the word bouquiniste, which means booksellers, but many of the bouquinistes now make their money by selling trinkets. You know, it's really hard to sell old books. People right. even buy old books, even buy beautiful antique books uh, on the Internet. And that has really hurt the bouquinistes. So a lot of them sell kind of crummy... It's kind of tacky touristic copies. Uh, posters Yeah, but and you, stuff. you can still find wonderful old engravings and old newspapers and old life magazines in Paris Match. Mm-hmm. But I, I feature in the book one character, Jackie Galois, who only sells books. And I loved the fact that, that he will not compromise by selling keychains or tiny miniature, you know, miniature Eiffel Towers or uh, placemats. Elaine, does the, the city government recognize the um, heritage value of these uh, traditional bookstalls and help uh, in any way for this spirit to survive in the days of ordering online? 
Oh, yes. Well, you have to get uh, approved by the city to be a bouquinist. You don't pay Mm -hmm. any rent. Mm -hmm. And you have to follow all these rules. You can only take a certain amount of time as vacation. and You're Mm -hmm. supposed to be present every day. Mm -hmm. But there's not an open subsidy for the uh, bouquinist. And the bouquinists themselves are trying to get recognized by UNESCO, the cultural arm of the -hmm. United Nations, as a cultural heritage site so that they can be validated and enriched and appreciated more because there are a lot fewer bouquinis than there used to be. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the whole Sen experience. These are these, uh, they're little green metal um, bookstalls, basically, and they lock them up and then they pop up the lid and and they're just sort of a laid-back, classy old uh, antique bookstore in miniature. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Elaine Cholino, and her book is The Seine, The River That Made Paris. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Caroline's calling in from Lake Forest Park in Washington State. Caroline, thanks for your call. Thank you. Hello, Rick and Elaine. When I spend time there for work or leisure... I like walking along the, um, the keys of the sign for just the peace and just to see local life come alive. It's uh, cooling in the evenings, especially when they have the heat waves. And I experienced that when I would walk back to the apartment I was staying in by the Musée d'Orsay from Il San Wi, where my client is. And it would just be beautiful at sunset um, as the sign would kind of just close down for the night, but it was still cooling and it was the natural air conditioning of the area. And I think it attracts people because you notice that at sunset there's these wonderful picnic dinners spread out on the banks. Did you notice that, Caroline? Uh, they're just right on the right on the banks of the Seine. Yes, I would see the people, you know, just sitting there and they would have whatever they might be eating for dinner at home, but because they live in these small old buildings that have no AC, they would just bring their dinner out to the river and spread out a tablecloth, and they would have like almost a formal dinner, but on the river banks. And it was very unique. You don't see that much anywhere else. So it was it was just a little piece of seeing very something very Parisian, um, on the banks that, you know, meanwhile you could hear people above eating in the restaurants, which is more touristic. I love it. Um, Elaine, did you, I'm sure you've noticed the wonderful dining that goes on. And just uh, Well, it's so interesting. Caroline makes an extraordinarily good point because she talks about local life coming alive and how cool it was on the river when people were sweltering in their apartments. This was last summer when we had an extraordinary heat wave where it was over 100 degrees, and I was working at home in my unair-conditioned apartment because most people don't have air conditioning in Paris. If you work in a fancy law firm like my husband does, um, then he had air conditioning, but we didn't. So you go out to the Seine, and you basically share life with other people. You know, one of my favorite words in the French language is partage or sharing, and you can eat and drink on the Seine, but you can also, as Caroline mentioned, but you can also dance on the Seine. You can mm. have salsa and tango lessons for free on the Seine. And what's more romantic than dancing on the banks of the river on a swelteringly hot I night? I love it. Caroline, thanks for your call. You're welcome.
And we've got Lynn on the line from, actually, from Paris. Lynn, uh, you're in Paris. Uh, Elaine was just talking about dancing on the Seine. Has that ever been part of your joy of the riverbank in Paris? Yes. um, I was walking down the Seine one time, and to my great surprise, I saw all these people dancing the tango. And apparently this little area is always used for dances on a certain night, and it's just it's charming, Uh, and especially when it's unexpected. So it's always there for your listeners if they want to stop by and see these people dancing. I love the energy that Paris has created on the banks of the Seine. It it used to be uh, what would be considered by a lot of drivers a a critical uh, artery for the the motorways, but uh, they decided to block that off, no more cars. Uh, In the summer, they even move in sand and make a beach, don't they? Well, they call it Paris-Plage, and they started that, oh, gee, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 10, I don't know, and they just cart that sand in there, and being from Miami, it does not look like Miami at all, (laughs) but they do have the chairs out there, and you can relax, and the um, Parisians enjoy it, and I think it's there because a lot of people just can't get away, so it was a way to make them feel like they were having a mini little vacation rest. One of my favorite experiences in Paris lately is uh, getting one of those uh, bikes that they rent really, really almost free on the streets and uh, biking along the bike paths and the pedestrian paths along the river past all the little makeshift bars and trampolines and palm trees in boxes and uh, people with their kids on little climbing walls. And it's just a beautiful slice of Parisian life. Elaine, is that considered a success for the people of Paris? It's really complicated, Rick, because... Some people don't like the fact that so much of the roadway along the Seine has been pedestrianized. If you've got a restaurant along the Seine or if you're the bouquiniste, you don't like that all the traffic has been moved to the upper bank and you've created extraordinary traffic jams and incredible density of pollution. So from their point of view, it's a terrible thing. However, if you go to the lower banks and you're a bike rider or you're a jogger or you have a little bar down below, you are thrilled that there is no traffic there and that you own the river. In the past, what was essentially a four-lane highway, two at the river level and two up above, is now a two-lane highway with the same amount of traffic because the river level one is just for bikers and pedestrians. That's right. And so at rush hour, high up, people get really angry. You might think that you were in New York City. All over Europe, it seems like city governments are almost intentionally frustrating drivers and favoring bikers and pedestrians and people who use the the metro. Hey, Lynn, thanks for your call, and and, uh, enjoy your uh, magic hours on the Seine River. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Elaine Cholino, and her book is The Seine, The River That Made Paris. I love when you wrote, Elaine, about taking a, a river cruise down the Seine, and you made it very clear you're not really a cruise lover, but you wanted to see the Seine from this vantage point. You call the Seine the Main Street of France. So you basically took this cruise from Paris down the Main Street of France all the way to the the port of Le Havre. Uh, Take us on that cruise just for a second. What was it like cruising down the river, and then uh, what do you find when when the river hits the, the ocean? Well, there are a number of cruise liners now that are running river cruises on the Seine River. You start in Paris and then go west, not all the way to Le Havre, but quite a ways. And it's a great way to see the river because you watch as the river out of Paris, it becomes wild again. I mean, you could be in Mm. the Amazon, it seems, because Mm. you're just surrounded by green and by cliffs. It's just a magical perspective. Mm. So it's quite idyllic going through. It's a tame, very slow-moving river, which also adds to 
the feeling of tranquility and peace. And along the way, you've got some quite nice sights. I, I would imagine the riverboats stop in Rouen. Yes, and, and a lot of Americans don't go to Rouen, but it's really a wonderfully undiscovered city. And you can get there very quickly by train. I mean, it took us a long time to get there by boat, but it's more than just Joan of Arc and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the cathedral. It, there are just wonderful corners of it that oh, I recommend to your listeners. It's a trip back in time. The vernacular architecture of the city is just beautifully preserved and cobbled lanes and lovely shops and, and beautiful family-run restaurants and lots of traditions. Elaine, when you think of how romantic the river is, I mean, brides from Japan and China fly all the way to Paris to get their wedding portraits taken on the bridges. Can you just sum up the secret to the romance of the Seine, whether it's in Paris or or out in the countryside? Well, the secret to the romance, especially in Paris, is that the Seine is like a, a stage set for all these extraordinary monuments on on its banks. Okay, you have the Eiffel Tower, but you also have the Louvre. You have the Monet de Paris, the Paris Mint, the Institut de France. And so it's it's just a place where you want to have your photograph taken. The bridges are very close to the water, so there's an intimate feel. You can almost feel you can touch the water from the bridges. You know, in thinking through all the work I've done in all the great cities of Europe, as many cities turn their back on their river that cuts right through them as face the river. And I think Paris is delightful in the way that it embraces its river. And uh, it's laced together by these romantic bridges, and the skyline is ornamented with these famous spires and uh, inspirational buildings. And uh, while Paris is a big and energized city, there's an intimacy in a human scale when you get down to the river and you enjoy the Seine, the river that made Paris. Elaine, thanks so much for sharing your insights into this river and best wishes with your travel writing. Thank you, Rick. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.